The Bible has been called the best-selling book in history. But for all the copies that have been produced and sold, it is also one of the most misunderstood texts of all time, both among the faithful and critics. While one side considers it a form of divine revelation, the other views it as a purely human product, complete with inconsistencies and outright errors. While one side believes it holds relevance in the 21st century, the other views it as an obsolete relic of the pre-modern era. But even these examples are extreme ends of a wide spectrum of views on one of the world's most beloved and hotly debated texts. In this episode, as well as the next few episodes, we tackle certain questions with the hope of pointing to the lens through which we discuss all of our topics as a podcast. Today we ask, what is the Bible? What does it mean to read it literally? Are there less than helpful ways of approaching the text? How do our answers to these questions affect the way we live out our lives? All that and more on this edition of the podcast. We're a forum for discussion on the issues that are ruminating in the minds of churchgoers, but that are often not raised from the pulpit. Too long has the church shied away from grappling with tough questions and nuanced issues. We're your hosts. I'm Riker Zalameta. I'm Lucas Manning. Welcome to Questions from the Pew, where faith and culture meet. Four proper season four. Here we are. Yeah, this is coming about it. after what two episodes of yeah, I guess re-release flashback slash commentary yeah, re-release. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, which I hopefully that was a good intro for everyone. Yeah, um, hopefully it sets the tone for where we're coming from. Yes, you know, um, yeah. and kind of sets us up for today's discussion. Hopefully, agreed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've been away for a while. I feel like a lot of fun things have happened. Yeah. I didn't get married, but I did have a wedding. <laughs> so that was fun. I guess That's for everyone true. who doesn't know, if you know, I've been you married know. for two years. If you, yeah, if you know, you know. If you don't, it's fine. But yeah, I was married two years ago in the pandemic. And I guess you there's going to be so a whole... much that you <laughs> yeah, decided to just I figured, do a ceremony again. Let's just do the wedding again. <laughs> no, it's because I wanted you to officiate one and then be in one. That's, that was the main <laughs> yeah, motivation. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's what it came down to. (laughs) Anyway, there is going to be a whole swath of people who literally get married during the pandemic and have have these, like, you know, janky ceremonies. Janky is probably the wrong word. I don't think it was janky. It was great. Unique. There we go. Yeah, (laughs) it's a unique timeline. Yes, agreed. Anyway. Hey, but you're you're one of the 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 unique few then, right? Or maybe the unique many because yeah. it's been what two years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. Well, it's great. We have some camaraderie there. There we go. Anywho, <laughs> so today we're talking about, you know, the Bible. <laughs> yeah. That's so a maybe it'd big be a question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for Christians, yes, I agree. Uh, yeah, so let's just go into the setup. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, today we're talking about the Bible, which is pretty important, right? Like you said, for Christians. But I think historically, too, in the grand scheme of things, 
it's a pretty important piece of literature. I mean, how many pieces of literature from an ancient context still survive and has a pretty strong foothold? Yeah, pretty widely widely read and has a pretty strong foothold still within not only American culture, which we're in, but just across Western culture as well. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, whether you you buy into it or not. Right, right, right. First book on the printing press. Yeah, I just I feel like yeah. it's deeply shaped. Even some of our language, like the KJ, some of our language is still like KJV informed. Mm. Trying to think of an example, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, it's a big. I mean, and obviously, it's just important for like Christian life. Um, I mean, most Christians take it very seriously, and like many would say that it's like you know like the principal grounding of their life or something like that, you know? Right. Um, right. Yeah, so that's and, I, mean, I mean, it's pretty it's... controversial too, right? We can't, oh, we probably can't sure. get away from that. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, especially, you know, now and just, you know, everything's getting canceled left and right. Here's the thing before, you know, a lot of people like to talk about canceling. If it we're keeping people accountable, that's just you, good. So just <laughs> yeah, yeah. If if it just cuts out right now, Riker <laughs> has canceled me. <laughs> anyway, I'm just saying canceling. If we're saying holding people accountable, that's great. But uh, you know, I think people just have issues with it, which is fair. It's a. I mean, we live in a different time, and I think it's misunderstood. Part of it, part of why it mm. gets you know, quote unquote, canceled or whatever is, I think, not even what it's trying to say. <laughs> that's anyway, true. well, that's great. True. I guess cool. uh, without further ado, should we get into our first question from the pew? A question from the pew. I guess we can start off with just the broad question, what is the Bible? Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess I have a few things. I, I can start us off. Sure. Uh, I guess most generally, it is communication, um, which obviously could be, you know, applied to a lot of different things. Um, but this kind of comes from Janine Brown and her book, Scripture as Communication, um, mm. which is great. I mean, she gets into a lot of what we're going to talk about, but the thing that I like remember from that book, <laughs> which is funny because you read a book and it's like, there's a lot in there. <laughs> I remember two things. Um, quick plug for Janine Brown. It is in its second edition now. So let's go get it on Amazon. No idea for how much. Um, but one of the things that like stuck out to me that she talked about was like the three elements of communication. So it's like the author or the speaker, the text or just the communication, and then like the receiver or the reader. Um, and she talks about how at different times in history we've centered the meaning of the Bible on like one of those three aspects. So like, for instance, for a long time, it was like the author is the center of meaning. So basically authorial intent is like king. So, uh, and this was actually like, she talks about it in like a psychology perspective. Uh, I can't remember the exact person uh, in the book who proposed this, but if you're interested, just go read her book and it'll tell you who, (laughs) who was proposing these things. Uh, But basically, it was like a psychological approach of like, if you can understand like the author's like state of mind, obviously Mm -hmm. like culture and all that stuff comes into it. But like the more you understand the author, the closer you can get, which I think there's some 
you know, good truth to that. Uh, but I think it went a little too far with like the, they were trying to like psychologically evaluate the author, right. uh, to like get to the meeting anyway, which is interesting. Uh, then like, so the text, so that the first element was the author. Second, it's like the text. Um, once again, I forget who proposed it. Go read the book if you want to know. Uh, but basically like the idea is that the t text creates an environment of itself. Um, and so it doesn't necessarily matter what the author was trying to get across because the text like takes on its own mm -hmm. meaning, if that makes any sense. Like it's, it, they call it the world of the text, which is interesting. Um, so that's like one way to do it. And then kind of the more recent, you know, postmodern vibe, if you will, <laughs> is like to center the reader at, as like the center of meaning. Um, so it's like, you know, how is this speaking into me or like, what do I take away from this? Which I think, yeah, is another way to do it. And here's the thing. I think there's like, there's helpful, there's helpful elements in all three of those components or like, you know, all three of those centerings, but how we, I guess like what we take away from each of them is important to think about. <laughs> right. I don't know. Is there anything you'd say on that? No, that's, that's fair. It's like, um, I mean, I've heard this illustration used before of, other things, but I think it applies here of like a, like a three legged stool, right? All those things, all, all three components need to be taken, I think evenly in order for it to produce a level stool that you can sit on and it can support you. Mm. Emphasizing one or the other will create a lopsided stool. It's not going to do sure. you any good. So I think it's sure. a, that might be a helpful way to approach it where it's like totally. not necessarily saying that one approach is completely wrong and useless, but it needs right. to be taken in light of the other approaches and held in balance. Because, um, like, with let's just say the authorial intent piece, right? Getting into the mind of the author. Man, especially with the more ancient texts, like, let's take Paul, who we have a ton of, you know, um, ton of literature that was produced by him, or scholars might say supposedly produced by him, whatever the case <laughs> sure. may be whatever yeah. your position is on that, you can only get so much of the person's mind through the medium of the text. Agreed. Um, and so at some point, the returns don't justify mm. the... Yeah, the um, effort you go through effort, to try to figure exactly. it out. Yeah. yeah. You can Agreed. only get so far. And it's the same with like even historical criticism, right? Like the getting behind the events of the text, yes, are, are helpful in terms of clarifying what the text is saying. But at sure. some point, you get to a point of diminishing returns. That's the phrase I was looking for. <laughs> point of diminishing, diminishing returns. returns. Yes. Uh, where it can, it's you've you've reached the max of what historical criticism can get yeah. you. It's just um, not helping you take anymore. It. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's helpful no, to, that's to keep in mind. Totally. Yeah, so anyway, that's communication. I think that's most generally what the Bible is. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of things could be categorized as communication. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, the Bible is one of them. Um, yeah, I mean, next I just have it's ancient. Um, mm. I think self-explanatory. Um, but like there's a couple things that come with that that I think, uh, you know, maybe the average Bible reader doesn't consider. One is just it's not written in English. Which What? In of its... In, <laughs> Wait, no, I've I've read it. I it is. It is written. I have my three Bibles here. <laughs> yeah. 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 So originally not written in English. Um 
which even if it was, you know, even if it was a language that existed right now, um, which there is modern Hebrew, but it's very different. Um, it, it's very different. I mean, as an analogy, try to go read Beowulf and tell me if that's English. And that's only like 400 years or 500 years, whatever. Um, anyway, so even if it was a language that existed in modern times, like there's, there's different, uh, I guess you could call it baggage or maybe there's just like a different, uh, there's like a different environment for words. Um, I mean, the, the, the example I always use that's a, a biblical example is like the word vengeance. Like in English, vengeance has like a certain, we even, we have like stories around vengeance. It's like, like, uh, like taken, like the, the movie with Liam Neeson mm-hmm. where he, you know, vengeance on all the sex traffickers, which is great or whatever. Uh, and then have you ever seen the Western, uh, tombstone? It's stuff like mm-hmm. the shootout at the OK Corral. I mean, yeah. that's another one where I remember watching that as probably a teenager or whatever. And like the, there's like a montage of revenge, basically. <laughs> and I was like so pumped about it. It was like, yeah. I first saw that movie two years ago. And oh, nice. I know. I don't know how it holds up, honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> honestly, I, I haven't seen it since my childhood. So I don't remember if it, I hopefully it holds up. But, uh, but I just remember feeling great in the, it was like vengeance, you know, is what these people deserve. Mm-hmm. And like it felt great. But like, you know, the vengeance in the Bible it might not have the same like stories around it or like mm-hmm. we might have not have the same pictures with the word or I should say the ancient Hebrew people probably had different pictures and different connotations. So mm-hmm. it's just like, I mean, it's just like a hurdle that you have to cross. Yeah. I mean, even within English, we have like, just ask a British person what a thing of fries is. And I don't, you know, <laughs> yeah. even within the same, like different dialects have yeah. different ways of saying things. Yeah. But anyway, so that's, that's one thing. Yeah, I mean, words have their conventional use, right? Like, that's what we have dictionaries and lexicons for. But even that is determined by its usage among the populace. So stuff like that is always evolving. Even within, you know, two generations of English speakers, you'll find changes in Merriam-Webster's dictionary for the same entry, you know, year after year. Sure, right. Um, so imagine that multiplied thousandfold um, with an ancient text like the Bible. And right. I guess that's, that's this is why we continue to need modern English translations. It's a quick mm-hmm. plug for translation committees of the Bible. <laughs> yeah. People ask, like, why do we need another, you know, English Bible? Well, just take the word, we'll, we'll get to this, you know, in another episode, but sure. like the word literally, it does not mean what it used to mean. Right. We, I think I, we've used this example before, but literally is synonymous now with virtually, or it's like a, mm. it's emphasis a superlative. Word. Yeah, it's an yeah. emphasis word. Like if you want to make sure to communicate like the, the grandiose nature of something or like how incredible something is, you use the word literally. Mm. It doesn't have the same meaning or it doesn't have just the right. same meaning that it used to have where it corresponds to reality or something that right, is factually right. true and real. Right. Like its meaning has expanded because it, right. it can still mean like the traditional meaning of literal in the sense of representative in reality. But then it also 
now it doesn't also mean that. Right. And again, <laughs> yeah, that, that changed not because of the Merriam-Webster, you know, committee right. putting on right. the publication, but it was because they recognized its usage changing in the culture. Right. And so it's like a, right. it's a, it's a both and, right? Yeah. Well, that's the fun thing is language is like a bottom up, like change, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it start like it's just how people are using it. And then that's what changes it. It's not, you know, our government doesn't decide what words mean. Unless you live in 1984 or whatever. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. One other thing that that goes along with like the fact that it's an ancient text uh, is just that it it exists. I mean, and this once again, maybe this sounds self-explanatory to the point of being silly, but it exists within an ancient cultural environment, mm-hmm. um, and I think that should impact some of our interpretations. The one that comes to mind a lot is like. I don't know if you've heard this, but the whole dove's eyes interpretation. Uh, So, like, the phrase dove's eyes appears, like, multiple places. I think Song of Solomon, probably in the Psalms, I don't know. Uh, But basically, it's like a—I think in Song Song of Solomon, it's, it's like, a positive descriptor of, you know, the beloved or whatever. Uh, And then it it appears in other places. But, like, the— the translate—or the interpretation that—I've heard it multiple times, most recently, like, two weeks ago at like a church event. Um, and, and like the interpretation is like, do you know why like dove's eyes is a good thing? And it's like, why? And they're like, because doves don't have peripheral vision. So they're completely focused on the thing in front of them. We need to be completely focused on God. And it's like, I don't dis- disagree with you. Problem is the ancient people had no idea if doves had peripheral vision. But you know what? That's That'll preach. Not a, <laughs> it'll preach you it'll preach <laughs> that's the thing so that's where i think when we come to it we would be and i think the argument i understand like the argument of why people make the interpretation because it's like well if god is the author of this you know how come we can't get some nice 21st century scientific insights that we find mm. in there but the fact is and i'll actually i think i might talk about this more later but god accommodates to the culture um that he's engaging with. Mm-hmm. So it, it it wouldn't have, what we need to look for is not, you know, what little Easter eggs are in the text for us to find, but it's what would this have meant to the culture yeah. in which it was speaking. Yeah. And so that's, well, the, we'll get more yeah. into it later, but I think that's well, the, the problem thing I have with that. Yeah. The problem I have with that kind of approach is that it's, that you're prioritizing yourself over the original audience as if as if the text was written for to and for you which it wasn't and yeah. We'll, uh, yeah you're you're right sure. we'll get to it you know later on but <laughs> yeah that's, that's a big problem that's that's irresponsible readership <laughs> mm. agreed good old chronological snobbery ooh thank good you c.s lewis for that phrase c.s lewis would say <laughs> talk about so we said it was communication it's an ancient Mm -hmm. text um once again you might think this is self-explanatory but it is literature um and so that has a couple yeah just has a couple things that come with that uh first is just like genre 
Um, genre and literary design, we'll put them in the same, you know, same boat. Mm. Um, but you wouldn't read a, you know, you wouldn't read a newspaper the same way you read like a sci-fi novel. It just wouldn't. I mean, I, th- I think it's self-explanatory. So that's where a genre. I think people have one genre for the Bible, and it's the Bible. <laughs> yeah, the Bible's a genre. <laughs> yeah, literally. But, uh, uh, and this is actually, I'll just get into it now. These are kind of connected. The other thing I have is like, it's a library. So it's actually a, it's a curated collection of, Ooh, that's a good I guess word. you call them books, curated. but yeah. writings. Curated, literally. Well, that's where, um, and once again, this might come, as a bit of a surprise to people, I think it did to me when I was first learning about it, but um, the Old Testament especially was like organized and edited and compiled over years and years and like developed as the tradition developed, um, which I, maybe that might be a, a big leap for some of our listeners. Um, but it's just to say there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of diversity within the Bible. So a lot of different genres, obviously there's like poetry, you know, there's law codes, narrative, you know, lots of different genres, even different perspectives. Um, a lot of scholars will say too, a lot of times within the the same book. That's another thing. Yes. You'll be trucking along through narrative and Exodus. And all of a sudden we're talking about, you know, actually I don't even know which law codes are in Exodus. That's how ignorant I am, but law codes, (laughs) Anyway, boom, uh, right in your face. Boom, yeah, literally. And then everybody drops off the the year Bible reading, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, like track or whatever. Um, anyway, so there's there's a lot of different diversity, and even um, a lot of scholars will say like the perspectives for uh, as an example, the perspectives of like the author of First and Second Kings is like way different than the perspective of the author of first and second chronicles. Like they're trying to do different Mm -hmm. things with the same, uh, stories and the same, you know, like history, that kind of thing. Uh, so there's a lot of diversity, but it's also to say it is unified, um, in that it's been kind of weaved together throughout Israel's history into one coherent tradition, uh, which Mm -hmm. I think like, points to a messiah which we would say is jesus because we're christians uh but yeah so it's it's literature and it's a library of literature Sick. agreed yeah i don't know do you have any, i i have more but i think we've beat a dead horse so <laughs> I, don't wanna, I mean I i've got a couple much. of thoughts i mean i so i approached the question yeah. of what is the bible from like uh, i started off with a negative so what the bible oh, is sure. not um yes. maybe i can list a few approaches yeah, that'd be great to the Bible, to answering that question of what is the Bible, that maybe aren't so helpful. And I should preface it by saying, kind of like the three-legged stool illustration earlier, I think they each have their, like, hold a piece of truth and something that's good, but as a whole, you know, approaching the Bible solely in this way, I think, um, yeah, it, it, it gives you a stunted reading, or at least a stunted approach to the Bible. Um, first is as a theological textbook, approaching the Bible as a theological textbook. Um, so approaching it with your theology first and finding proof texts, um, within Mm. scripture for it. I think that's problematic in, in one sense, just because it doesn't give you the, the grand narrative of scripture. 
um, because you're mm. just looking at individual texts to support your theological argument instead of reading sure. the um, reading the flow of scripture as a cohesive whole. Sure, right. I mean, I'm right there with you. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> uh, and then number two is a self help a self help book. Um, mm. I think you get this maybe in mo- in a very particular kind of church setting or church environment um, where it's very much a, the Bible is a book of encouragement um, and uplifting stories, those sorts of things, the best sure. of humanity, or at least a picture <laughs> of what could be the best of humanity yeah. or life. The problem is it just falls apart when you start to read it. <laughs> Yeah, it's like You're, what's you get happening. Three, you get three chapters in, and it's hard to find. <laughs> hard yeah, to find that kind Literally. of hope. Abraham's like sleeping with his concubine, and then kicks her out. <laughs> it's like, wow, these are messed up folks. Yeah, examples to follow. Am I right? <laughs> um, the oh yeah, number three uh, is the whole B I B L E basic instructions before leaving Earth approach oh oh yeah and again i feel like you i feel like you get this more in a very specific niche within christianity um more so probably from like a i'm going to use a big theological theological word here but like a dispensational approach like hyper dispensational Mm -hmm. approach to the bible sure um and for basically the the focus in that approach is um, you know, the imminent return of Christ, the kind of the end of the world scenario sort of thing, and what can we do sure. to to kind of read the times um, in preparation for the return. Again, instructions sure. before leaving Earth uh, sort of thing. So, sure. Um, well, and it prob- seems just yeah. by the title. I feel like the way I've seen it is like, it's like an escapism of like... Hmm. Yeah, we're just kind of here wasting time trying to get as many people to go to heaven as possible. And then when we die, that's when, like, you know, the party starts. <laughs> right, right. Which is, uh, that's like what I feel like I kind of grew up with. I don't know. I don't know if I ever heard that from my church that, like, specific. What would that be? Anna, 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 what, what are those called? Where it's. Oh, um, acro- not, not an acronym. Uh, that's close it's to it. It's something else. It's, it's a poem. What is? Sorry. Are you looking it up? The problem is, I yeah, literally. Acrostic. Acrostic. <laughs> That's what it was. Bro. I was thinking. It's not. It's not an. an ac- it's not an acronym. It's not an anachronism. Acrostic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's where literally I was like, I'm not going to be able to even think if we leave this to just sit there. Anyway. I don't think we. Oh, use I can't that wait specific. to see how you edit that together. That I'm definitely going to take out some of the negative space, but we're leaving it in. <laughs> anyway, um, um, yes. All that to yeah. say, we didn't use that acrostic, but we did. That was like the. At least that's what I gleaned a lot was, you know, heavens are you know heavens are real home and mm. you know that kind of thing. Which there is some right. truth to that or whatever, but anyway. Yeah. Well, it, the problem is it's more focused on, like. It puts a lot more focus on a, you know, relatively small portion of scripture, right? Agreed. The majority of scripture is more focused on how to live life well as a follower of God, how to live life Agreed. well as if God is on the, th- the throne, right? The, the mm-hmm. Genesis starts off with, 
with the fact that God is reigning and ruling and humans subverted that rule or tried to subvert that rule. And so the whole mm-hmm. point of um, of scripture and the, the whole good news, you know, culminating in Jesus is that God is still on the throne. Like he has sure. not been subverted. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's not so much how do we escape from this life? It's a how do we live life well as mm. it should have yeah. been, not the afterlife. Well, literally. Well, it's like we're in a kingdom of, well, I don't know if king, we live in a world of darkness, but we can still like establish the kingdom of mm-hmm. heaven if we like follow mm-hmm. the teachings of Jesus. Anyway, but yeah, yeah. literally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number four is kind of going off the basic, basic instructions kind of thread. Uh, it's timeline yeah. for the future or end of the world. And again, oh, yeah. I feel like you <laughs> get that from a that same group of um, sure. Christians or that same movement. Right. Um, it was yeah, supposed to be 2012. <laughs> There's always it's the same a problem prediction. of hyper-focus on a small portion of Agreed. the Bible. Totally, um, totally. And then one is slightly different, I guess, from because those like the first four that I mentioned are very, I guess, like church centered or religion centered. Like usually, it's it's used by people who take religion seriously or are in a um, religious group. Um, but the fifth one is just um, as an ancient artifact um, of a pre modern society. So this is more leaning towards people who are approaching the Bible, not from a stance of faith. Um, mm. So they just look at the Bible as um, sure. yeah, an example of a pre-modern society and how they thought about religion, ethics, morals, um, sure. the metaphysical realm, whatever uh, you want to say. Sure. Um, but that's all they approach it as. And totally. I'd say that's just as unhelpful. <laughs> yeah. Maybe even well, I mean, a lot more of... unhelpful. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, a lot of, I feel like, which... This is caricaturizing, so not everyone. But I do feel like a lot of people who are interested in the Bible in that capacity, they also think it's, like, outdated, and it's, like, you know, they don't don't have to, like, grapple with it too much because it's, like, yeah, like, they were wrong. (laughs) Like, they're okay with saying that. Which I guess that's where, I don't know, the more I study the Bible, the more, like, the more relevant it gets for today. And so that's where a part of that is chronological snobbery again of like, you know, we figured it out now, our modern right. society. Like we know how the world really is. And it's like, well, I don't, we have a have different we? way of looking at it. That's, yeah, that's definitely true. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. well, great. And again, these these approaches are partially helpful, but only partially helpful. Um, it often leads to like a hyper-focus um, instead of a more holistic approach or understanding of, of scripture. Sure. Um, yeah, there's so, truths from all of them. Yeah. So that's how I kind of answer that question just with a negative first. But if I was to give, you know, I, I guess a more clear-cut definition of what the Bible is, I'd, do, I'd say this. The Bible is an ancient compilation of theologically driven texts written over thousands of years by multiple human authors to diverse audiences and recognized by many to be a means of divine communication. We can maybe yeah. break that down, you know, piece by piece, but a lot of it is stuff that you've already sure. talked about. Yeah, um, I think that was kind of how to answer the, your question as well. 
Yeah, it was a good synthesis, I think. Um, yeah, there wasn't too much in there that we didn't talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I did want to uh, mention is something you actually said earlier about the uh, not written to us. And that was, I think I first heard that, or maybe it was popularized. I don't know. But I first heard that from uh, John Walton, a professor at Wheaton, which that's like his, his famous quote, which I think uh, I think a bunch of his students who are now scholars uh, like collected essays um, and then named it this kind of in honor of him. Uh, mm. But it's named not written to us, but it is for us or something like that. Mm. I, I'm getting that exactly wrong, but or not exactly right. But yeah, but that's what I think that's when we talk about uh, all these things that the Bible isn't and is, I think maybe the average listener can get like upset by that because then it's like, well, what am I, how am I supposed to relate to this book then that I sure. really have, like I don't really relate to even a right. little bit. And that's where the for us part comes in is because, yeah, it's, it wasn't written to us. Let's just be honest. We're not, you know, ancient Hebrew people. <laughs> I was trying to think of how to say that. Uh, but yeah, so it wasn't written to us, but it is like for us and it is our scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, I, I think, I mean, just look at the New Testament and, you know, the belief of those biblical authors about specifically the Old Testament. Um, like they believed that it was like it was Christian scripture that could be or that was actually all you needed to like get to the character of God and like get. Right. Everything you needed for faith was in there. Um, So that's where it's tough. And I understand that it's like, you know, it can be intimidating and it can make people want to walk away because of all the kind of seeming hurdles or hoops that you have to jump through to actually get Mm -hmm. to what the Bible is saying. But I think it does point us to like, I guess like the logic of it all of like in order for God to connect with us at all, like he has to, the only way that he can do that. And the only way we'd understand it is through a human language and a culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, And sure, there's like a mystery of why did he choose, you know, ancient Israel in, you know, Palestine or whatever. Like, why did he choose them to do it? Uh, And I think that is a mystery. I mean, the Bible says it surely wasn't because they're like the strongest or anything like that. Right. right. Um, So it's like, I think that's like a fair, yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. That's a fair question, Um, but it, but it can be asked, oh, sorry, go ahead. even if it wasn't that particular people group, it would have been asked regardless sure. of what people group, you know, yeah, agreed. the Bible came out of. Right. And so that's where, in order for God to, which, and I think that's a huge theme in the Bible is God just wants his presence to be with us. Mm-hmm. And so like, in order for that to happen, he had to, he had to get involved in the culture, uh, of, you know, his, I guess, chosen people, um, and he, yeah, he chose, you know, the ancient Hebrews and the old ancient Near East. Um, and so if, if we want to connect with him, I think he's calling us to, you know, engage in that culture, engage in some of these hoops that we have to jump through to get there. Um, yeah, and I think we're all, I think we have the capacity to do it. <laughs> so it is difficult, but also I, I think, I think everybody agrees when you sign up to follow Jesus, maybe besides Joel Steen, you're not signing up for an easy, you know... <laughs> Easy, easy time. I'm sorry. I don't even know why I'm going after Joel. He's great. <laughs> anyway, but you know, there's going to be some difficulties. So I think you know it's okay to embrace the difficulty of 
of what the Bible is. Yeah. Yeah, I think understanding or acknowledging that there is and will be difficulty in approaching and interpreting the biblical text is going to give you so much, um, I guess, so much of a, a stronger foundation because you're not trying to shove everything under the rug of, well, it's the Bible. Sure. Um, and so when you approach it under, like, expecting um, that it's going to take work, I think there's less pressure maybe to, to have things figured sure. out as you're reading or to, to fully understand everything that you're reading. I mean, the, the reason that... Um, the reason why the psalmist says the, the 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 happy person, the blessed person, is the one who meditates on God's law, God's instruction, is that because you don't learn everything on the first run through. Sure, it's it's right. a it's an ever increasing understanding and knowledge of yeah, who life God is. Journey. Yeah, the more you sit in it, the more you understand it, and the more you um, you know you understand God through it. Yeah, so this is in the lobby. Uh, what'll usually happen here is, uh, you know, you know what it's like when you leave the auditorium at the end of church service, and you know, you're depending like on the church years. you're from, I guess. I yeah, you know, you know, <laughs> but you're ten years old, and it's like, please, can we leave? I just want to leave. <laughs> and your parents are talking. Everyone's, you know. So right now we're just hanging in the lobby, talking about the sermon. Let's be honest, in real life, you never talk about the sermon, but that's getting <laughs> ready for that potluck. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, that church picnic. Love it. Um, anyway, so that's what we'll do. This episode, we had to break up into two parts, mostly because me and Riker are long-winded when it comes to the Bible. Yeah. And we record topics. without a clock in front of us. <laughs> Truly. So, uh, so we'll save the summary for next episode, um, and you can catch part two next week. Uh, so thanks for listening. Yeah, and if you'd like to support us financially, you can do so at Patreon. Uh, it's just www.patreon.com slash questions from the pew. Uh, And if you can't support us financially, please give us a good rating or review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on, and that will help others find our podcast. Also, please comment and ask questions. Leave us a short voice message or text message at 312-725-2995. This has been Questions from the Pew, a podcast in the World Outspoken Network. To learn more about World Outspoken and its mission to prepare the Mestizo Church for Cultural Change, visit www.worldoutspoken.com. For questions from the Pew, I'm Riker Zalameta. I'm Lucas Manning. We'll see you next time. Bye.